You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by educators for educators. Your host for season one is OEA member Jesse Bray. Welcome back to the OEA Grow podcast. I'm your season one host, Jesse Bray, and today we have the privilege of having Dr. Grace Bullock on. Um, and yeah, we want to say hello. Yeah, it's uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So we're going to talk about mindfulness, and uh, you are an expert on this subject. So we're going to pick your mind uh, a little bit. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what you have, what sort of research and experience that you have for those listening. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I think it's a bit of a misnomer to claim that I'm a mi- mindfulness expert because I think the more you explore mindfulness, the more you realize how mindless you actually are. So okay. I think sometimes I might be an expert at identifying my own mindlessness and okay. being able to try to move myself back into a mindful state. All uh, right. So I'll, I'll qualify the expert comment with that. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, that's fair. Uh, that whole, you know, Socrates know that I know nothing. Um, well, tell if you if you mind, tell us what mindfulness means from your from your experience. Sure. There are a lot of uh, different definitions of mindfulness. John Kabat-Zinn um, is probably the most famous person who talks about mindfulness as um, paying attention on purpose without judgment. Personally, I think that mindfulness is is really about um, being aware of ourselves, what's going on with ourselves, and being aware of how we are in relationship with ourselves, but also with others. So it's not just okay. an internal enterprise. It's really about how we show up in the world um, and how aware we are of how we show up in the world. Okay, I like that. Yeah, um, this is so hokey when I think about it, but um, I watch Kung Fu Panda with my son, and he's you know he's six years old, and uh, and there's this little turtle that says that's why you know the, that's why we call the, the present a gift because it's now you know and it's being mindful as being in the present. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty great. What have you so I mean you've done I would imagine a, a fair amount of research so both on like the academic side and of course like the research side. What have you noticed um, trending in mindfulness? Um, and as far as what are some of the results that you have seen when people practice mindfulness? Yeah, that's a great question. And I come from at, uh, this at, from many, many different angles. I did a lot of research for my book, Mindful Relationships, on the, um, the impacts of mindfulness. I also write um, the science column for Mindful Magazine. And so I'm constantly reviewing uh, up and coming research about mindfulness, I would have to say that by and large, what um, the research shows is that mindfulness has a tremendous ability to help us to be aware of and modulate our stress, both at a, a physical and physiological level and a psychological level. And what we also know from the science is that stress and not not you stress, not the kind of stress like, hey, I'm going to go bungee jumping. But chronic yeah. stress that kind of chews and eats away at us. Um, that that chronic stress has a effects on um, you know everything from heart disease, which is the most commonly known one, to how our genes reproduce, um, aging, chronic inflammation, which affects every you know organism in our uh, in our body. Um, so 
I think that where mindfulness is most impactful is that it can help reduce the effects of stress. And that has very far reaching effects all the way from, you know, the brain to whether or not you have uh, chronic inflammation in your joints or uh, gut issues or whatever. But I think that really the effects on stress are, are the most profound and the most um, replicated in the research. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's great to, to know that there's such a broad reaching scientific aspect of it. Um, how did you dive into mindfulness? What, what got you started? Um, good question. I was in graduate school at the time and um, in, in clinical psychology, which is a fairly stressful discipline. And a friend of mine suggested that I try meditation. Okay. Um, and I'm the kind of person that cannot sit still. So um, the kind of meditation that was recommended for me in uh, the tradition that was recommended is one where you right off the bat are required to sit and stare at a wall for 45 minutes without moving. Oh, and wow. um, because I tended particularly at the time to be very um, perfectionistically oriented, I was going to sit and stare at that wall if it killed me. And so I spent two years trying to be the best meditator ever. And I was, <laughs> now I know in hindsight, <laughs> I, I was spending much more time worrying about how well I was doing it um, than actually doing it. So um, in those years, I also discovered um, yoga. And I discovered yoga because I was a uh, very athletic and still am person. But again, I wanted to do yoga because I wanted to be the person who could like grab their foot and like wrap it around the back of my neck. I wanted to be really oh, good at nice. yoga. And uh, I'll, I'll say I have never done that, by the way. Okay. But um, <laughs> I ended up having a really bad hip fracture in um, 2007 Ooh. that had me on crutches for a long time. And the first thing that I was cleared to do was yoga. And so for the first time in a yoga class, I actually sat and paid attention to what was going on in my body, what was going on in my mind, um, and just the whole experience, because I could not be physically powering through my yoga practice. And um, the light went on, and that's when I discovered how amazing um, the tradition of yoga is, and um, signed up and went through yoga teacher training and up until COVID have taught ever since. And I'll say that um, what I think is amazing about yoga is it really meets people where they are. So you can do hmm. movement, you can do breathing, you can do sound, you can do meditation. Um, there are just a lot of pathways. And I think that that's why for me as someone who is not good at sitting still, that yoga was very appealing because it's, it's far more than just the physical practice that you see in, in the mainstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think, and you, I, the little I know about yoga uh, is because I've, I've done a little bit. Um, I've done, I would say, um, I think it's called asana, asana yoga. It's the one where you stretch and you say good things about your body. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, like, yoga oh, asana is the physical, it's asana, the physical okay. practice. Yeah, so I, okay, yeah, and I, I had back pain, and you know, I've always worked, you know, like in front of a desk and hunched over on my computer, and and I just get this horrible back pain, and uh, you know. Um, my buddy and I, we called it broga where we, you know, we go to mostly it was elderly ladies that were doing this yoga and, you know, him and I with our backs hurting from being in front of a computer, we like broga night, let's go and do some stretches. Uh, but our back always felt better, better than going to the chiropractor. It was, it was a really great experience. Um, so that's, that's awesome. I think that's what I like about yoga 
particularly because it has the mindful like head part, right? Yes. And then it has the physical uh, connection. So they're, it's, they're like one and the same, which is something beautiful about Eastern um, medicines or Eastern views about uh, the whole the holistic view. Um, so, okay, so you, you dove into this during your grad school and mm-hmm. that's where it started to change your life and your practice as, as I, I would, as I gather. Um, when did it become to where you realized that this was like a daily thing? Like you needed to have this a part of everything. When did, when did you get like, when did you realize it's, it's bigger than just your experience? Yeah, I don't know if there was an exact moment in time, but I think that, you know, over the course of time of my my mindfulness practice evolving, I realized that it's more a way of being than a way of doing. And okay. that, um, again, that's why I think the relationship with self and others is so important in that it's, 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 it's the practice, you know, the whether you choose yoga or meditation or you know, walking my dog is my most consistent daily practice where I just take him out and I pay attention to my experience in nature and his little bouncy ears and fluffy tail. Um, but I think that when you start noticing that if you don't do it, you really miss it. There's kind of a, a shift there. But um, I, I think eventually it just becomes a way of being in the world where you are. And again, I, 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 I joke because I think it allows you to notice when you're being mindless. So mindfulness mm. as a, as a bar, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, kind the of opposite. Yeah. bar that you never get to, but um, it's, it's just, it, you, you begin to notice, you know, um, what's going on with me. And, and I think also paying attention to the fact that other people are having their own lives and their own experiences. And that instead of immediately jumping to the story, I'm telling myself about them, stepping back and, and taking a breath and holding a little space um, and grace and compassion for the other person rather than yeah. just getting caught up in my own narrative and my own spin about what's going on. Um, and so I think in terms of what mindfulness can do, it gives us that little space between what's happening and how we respond or react to it, where we can make a conscious choice to say, huh, am I going to react to this? Is this pushing my buttons or can I step back and say, Oh wait, this is pushing my buttons and I'm going to choose not to. Um, and again, yeah. in, in, in yeah. perfect science, sometimes we're just humans and we, we do our things, but um, it gives us an opportunity to ask those questions when we're in a place where we can ask them. Now that that's so true. Um, you know, a little bit about me, which we kind of connect and, and research and, you know, you're definitely way beyond that, but uh, I'm currently working on my PhD in psychology. Uh, I focus on art therapy and I just finished a course on emotions, cognition, and motivation. And I didn't see it so simply, but there is this thing about emotion theory about how your emotions impact your memory, your attention, and your decision-making. And Mm -hmm. so when we're feeling anxious, right, uh, when we're feeling anxious, that's going to impact how we feel and, and how much attention we give to somebody or something. And then that's going to change how we react. And your and mindfulness is like, it just gets in there like a nice, like a buffer, the way you're describing. It's like this buffer, like, wait, this emotion is, it's something that you can process. Like, wait, there's there, there, you're coming to the table instead of letting it drive you, you're, you're stopping for a moment uh, and saying, wait, 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 what's happening to me for a moment? How am I feeling? And, and there's like a, you're doing a body check. You're scanning your body. So, mm-hmm. 
And that's that, that's, um, and I didn't, I never heard the process so articulate. Um, but that course was like really great. And it's just connecting those in our conversation right now, as we're talking about mindfulness, what, okay. Well, and I'm, you, I'm glad yeah. you brought up the body. Um, oh, oh yeah. sorry for jumping no, in. No, no, but, yeah, uh, great. Yeah. So for me, particularly thinking about the mind, body, brain, um, relationship, what is wonderful about these practices is that um, they also connect the mind body. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So yes. um, particularly in this day and age, most of us are um, physiologically upregulated. And so that means that we've got more cortisol and endorphins and adrenaline running through our systems, which increases our heart rate and our respiration. And um, in the beautiful work of Dr. John Gottman, when our heart rate and respiration are particularly heart rate, exceeds 120 beats per minute, what happens is that the uh, prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that is responsible for that mindful pause, the thinking, uh, the problem solving, um, it, it, it uh, becomes less active in the service of the limbic system, the amygdala, the hippocampus, like the emotional centers of the brain. And so we have a harder time accessing that part of ourselves that allows us to step back because our sympathetic nervous system, which is often equated to the fight, flight, freeze response, is, yeah. is dominant. So the one way that we can diffuse that sympathetic nervous system dominance is through changing our breath pattern. And so mm. the longer you exhale, it's not about the big inhale, it's about the slow exhale, that actually stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system which is that other branch of the, the, the autonomic nervous system, and that down-regulates the body. And so it okay. puts the body out of that, you know, like erratic fight, flight, freeze, I've got 10 cups of coffee, you know, on board yes. thing, yes. and allows us to relax. And in that relaxed state, those neural networks, those brain networks are more likely to function in, I'll call it harmony, for lack of a better word, but we're more able to like, experience our emotions but not have our emotions um kind of run roughshod or dominate our uh our behavior i will say though that that does not mean emotions are bad it just means that they're not running the show and we can kind of say oh i'm feeling really angry right now <laughs> do i yeah. want to like go and do my angry thing or do i want to you know deal with my anger in a way that is um hopefully constructive rather than destructive that that's that's really well put. I I, I love that. I mean, it, it it makes sense. And I didn't understand. I didn't know before before now that the 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 length of the exhale was so important to kind of like basically rebooting your body or slowing down that path. Because our emotions, we're we're emotional beings. Sometimes they're like they they're they're careless, but they don't really always have our best interest. Um, how you feel is not always has your best interest in mind. Um, especially when they are driving decision making that may be you know, just so reactionary. Um, and I, I know we're, I know we're almost out of time and I just want to ask one real quick, what's something, what's a baby step for someone who wants to begin their mindfulness journey? What's something that's accessible to a beginner? Anything that you can do on a regular basis and it can be a short amount of time. Um, it can be a long amount of time, but like I said, what I try to do is build into my day, my practice in, into something I'm already doing. For example, mm. one of my most consistent practices, because I have a dog in no yard, is that I have to walk him at least twice a day. I leave yeah. my devices at home. 
and I pay attention to my experience. Um, John Kabat-Zinn, one of my favorite teachers, said, you know, when you're going to wash the carrots, just wash the carrots. Sit okay. and pay attention to what you're doing. Um, just sit and pay attention to what you're doing. But I, I think that for so many of us, and I know that I'm speaking largely in this group to educators, it becomes one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. Um, but if you can find, you know, some parents I know, they'll they'll sit literally on the toilet while their kids are outside. Hey, that's right. That's the one minute they get where they can just slow down their breathing or pay yeah. attention to their emotions. And that's a practice. Um, and of course, there's beautiful things like yoga, meditation and all the things. Yeah, but yeah. that doesn't have to be the practice in and of itself. I think it's those small little daily moments that are uh, by far, at least in my humble experience, the most impactful. That's great. So you heard this hit now. Uh, Dr. Dr. Grace Bullock has said, instead of candy crushing it while you're using the restroom, you could be practicing some mindfulness meditation. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that, but I'll roll with it. <laughs> Crush some of that uh, anxiety instead of candies. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I, I, it's been just a treat, and I, 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 I'm just so excited uh, to, to, to learn more, and, uh, and I'm just I'm privileged to have this opportunity. Um, and thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for having for, me. It's been fun. Thanks. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. And um, I, I know we're, we're out of time, but um, thank you, everyone, for listening. And, uh, you know, please, when we post this episode, you'll have resources to some, some tips on mindfulness, uh, meditation, and uh, things that we mentioned here today. You'll have a wonderful day. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.